Hey, podcast listener. Are you working so hard you wonder if the money is even worth it? If you're like most CPAs I work with, you have way too much to do, you feel relentless deadline pressure, and worst of all, you feel torn between serving clients and being with family. What if I told you you could work a 40-hour week without losing a dime? I know it sounds impossible, but my Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is designed for CPAs just like you who want to get their lives back. Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is launching soon. In it, you'll learn how to start getting your time back week by week, make your workload manageable while still bringing in plenty of revenue, what to put in your packages and how to price them, and so much more. Don't leave your future to chance. CPA Mastermind will get you on the same profitable path you've been searching for. With unlimited coaching, your success is guaranteed. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there. Welcome to Epic Business Growth for CPAs. My name is Geraldine Carter, founder of She Thinks Big Coaching. This is the place to be if you're a CPA who wants to grow your accounting practice. Weekly episodes are full of strategies and action steps that create a clear path for growth without working harder. Time to get inspired and grow your business. Hey everyone, I am on fire. I am not literally on fire. I'm metaphorically on fire, but let me tell you about something that was literally on fire last night. Guess who? Put the yam fries in the oven and missed one of those Lexan spatulas that somehow must've fallen to the bottom of the oven rack. And I opened the oven and there was this giant ball of fire and smoke coming out. And it was 430 degrees of hot fire and smoke. And now my house smells like melted plastic. So the windows are open. It's 30 degrees outside. And I think the cold has me shivering and my energy like. (laughs) And also, I'm so excited for this episode, partly because I've been having this challenge of not knowing how to capture all my thoughts in a way that makes any sense and actually get them out in an organized fashion in a way that I can see so that I can put this episode together or put any episode together. It's been a long time that I've had this challenge and put this episode together that has all my thoughts in an organized fashion. It's just been a real challenge. Google Docs doesn't work for me. The outline format doesn't work for me. Um, Recording stuff and then having it transcribed doesn't work for me. Writing it all out on eight and a half by 11 pages was not working for me. And then I finally had this idea of getting a giant roll of butcher paper. And it turns out they sell rolls of paper at Staples. So I got one and I just wrote out this whole episode and it's splayed across my desk on a giant piece of paper and it's all there. And I'm so psyched. All my thoughts in one place, I can see them. So I'm really excited to deliver this episode to you. It has a lot of fun stuff in it, some great stories. And what I hear from listeners um, when you guys leave iTunes reviews, which I love, thank you for leaving iTunes reviews, is that you love stories. And I love stories too. I love telling stories. And I also think that stories are a really great way to learn right? It's part of the reason that we pass down stories from generation to generation. We remember stories. Stories resonate for us. There's one story for example. A quick example is um, if you've ever listened to Sigrun's podcast, I don't know if you know her, but she has a great podcast for women entrepreneurs. And she told this story of there's a client at every price, 
right? And I firmly believe there's a client at every price. If you sell something for a buck, you've got somebody who's going to want to buy it for a buck, but someone's going to think that's too cheap. If you want to buy something for, if you sell something at 10 bucks, someone's going to find that thing too cheap, but somebody's going to find it too expensive. If you want to sell it for that same thing for a thousand bucks, someone will find that to be too cheap. And another person will find that very same thing to be too expensive. And the story that she tells is of a curling iron, and apparently she has long hair and you can't curl your hair when it's wet. I did not know this. I've never owned a curling iron in my life. And that you've got to dry your hair before you can curl it. I did not know that was a thing. Turns out that Dyson invented a curling iron that you can use on wet hair. And for the right customer, that is an important problem to solve. I'm not their right customer. But for Sigrin, Sigrin is the right customer. And guess how much the curling iron is? Is it 30 bucks, 70 bucks, 90 bucks? No, it is $497 for the curling iron. And guess what? She's like, that solves a problem for me. I'm buying it. And I'm always reminding myself of this story of there's a client at every price and thinking about the curling iron and who on earth would pay $497 for a curling iron, but there is a client at every price. And it's the story of the curling iron that curls wet hair that sticks in my mind, not the academic concept of walking through the behavioral economics that proves the case that there's a client at every price. So with that story, I'm going to tell you a few more stories and I have five to weave together. And I'm going to give you the stories first, and then I'm going to map them over to how it might potentially be playing out in your business. So the first story is a couple of days ago, I was driving up to Snowbowl, the ski hill, and it's a wide forest road. It's dirt. It's snow covered starting part way up. And you climb about, I don't know, probably 2000 feet from the valley floor up to the base of the ski hill. And I drive a Prius. It has snow tires on it. And sometimes I get a little excited about going up to the ski hill and I maybe drive a little too fast. <laughs> And, um, but not in the outside corners, only in the inside corners, because I don't want to go careening over the edge, but it's okay if I slide into a snowbank, that doesn't freak me out too bad. But anyways, so I'm driving up to the ski hill and at some point there's a temperature transition where it's clearly, you know, down lower, it's above freezing and the road is dirt and kind of wet mud. And then it starts to transition into snow covered. And we're in the sort of like 32 degree ish range and the road is snow covered, but the air is warm. So the top layer of snow has melted and the top layer is now wet on top of packed snow, which makes for a super slick driving situation. And I'm taking this turn and I hadn't realized it yet that it was super slick <laughs> and it's, it's an inside turn, right? So the hill is on my right hand side and I turn my wheels to the left and I start to feel the tail end of my car start to spin out behind me. And it's traveling out to my right faster than I am in the front seat. And I'm starting to feel myself slide in the direction of the embankment. And instinctually, because I grew up in the Northeast and I, you know, drove on snow and still drive on snow, knew to counter steer. And I cranked my wheel to the right. And my, as knowing that my, that would bring my car closer to the snowbank, then got everything back in a line. My car started to line up again and then hit the gas and, um, straightened out and avoided hitting the snowbank. And it all happened super quick. And I thought to myself, Ooh, that's a great metaphor 
steering exactly toward the thing that you're scared of hitting. If I had cranked my steering wheel to the left, I would have put my car into a tailspin. I would have started to just spin in a circle. When you're spinning in a circle, you do not have control of the direction that your car travels in. But oftentimes, we want to steer away from the thing that we're scared of hitting. What we need to do, though, is steer right toward the thing that we're scared of hitting. We've got to go right in the direction of our fear in order to get control, get back on track, regain control, and accelerate out of the situation. Okay, second story. For this one and the next one and the next one (laughs) and the next one, actually, the next four, I'm going to use a hockey analogy. And I love hockey analogies because they map over to life so well. Hopefully many of you at some point in your life have been on a pair of ice skates, be they figure skates, hockey skates, doesn't matter. But you can relate to that wobbly feeling. So when ice skating, when playing hockey, I play hockey, I don't figure skate. You push off with your feet. You make yourself go forward in a straight line. But when you want to turn, you turn not by turning your shoulders, not by rotating your shoulders, but by leaning your body over. The angle of your body goes from being upright to tilted at an angle. And that's what makes you turn. When people are starting out learning to ice skate and they want to turn, what they do is they rotate their shoulders. And that's okay. You can make a slow turn that way. But at a certain point, if you're going to, if you're going fast, if you have any reasonable amount of speed, turning your shoulders is only going to make you wobble and probably fall down. Once you get up to a certain amount of speed, if you want to turn, you have to lean your body over and your center of gravity goes out beyond the base that your feet create and you put yourself on edge and your edges hold you and they keep your feet moving in an arc. But this is scary because it feels like you're going to fall. Your center of gravity is out beyond the base of your feet. But the only way to make it work is to commit to the turn. If you commit to the turn, your feet will come around. But if you don't commit, you're just going to do this wobbly thing and you're probably going to fall over. You've got to commit to your turns. And the next piece of that is that you need to trust that your edges are going to hold you. So that tiny little blade underneath your feet, it's like three millimeters wide, has an inside edge and an outside edge. It's not just one edge like a knife. It's two edges, an inside and an outside. And your edges will hold you, provided that they're sharp. They will hold you if you're going fast enough and if you've committed to your turn. But you have to trust that they will hold you in order for them to hold you. If you don't trust that they're going to hold you, you're not going to commit to the turn and you're not going to turn. You're going to do some wobbly thing. Part of the process of learning to ice skate is committing to your turns, committing to your rotations, committing whatever, and trusting that your edges are going to be there to hold you. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes your edges will not hold you, or sometimes you won't get your edge in the right place. You won't put your foot down at the right angle, or maybe there's already a groove in the ice, or something will happen. You set your edge and it doesn't hold you. And guess what happens? You wipe out. Now, we all wipe out. Wiping out is a part of the process of learning. And the more beginner we are at the thing we're doing, the more we're going to wipe out. And as we get better, we wipe out with less frequency. And hopefully, when we become really good, we don't wipe out super often. But there is never a point 
in any sport, hockey or anything else, where you don't wipe out. And if you don't believe me, go watch a professional level game. I'm recording this right before the Super Bowl, so I can't tell you to go watch the Super Bowl because it will be over. But if you watched it, how many passes were incomplete? They did not connect to the receiver. Maybe there were even interceptions where, oops, you, the quarterback tosses a pass and the dude on the other team catches it. Whoopsie, that's a bad play. That's a total wipeout, right? Back to the hockey analogy. I love the hockey analogy because even in the NHL, well, just because I love hockey, but in the NHL, these are professional level players. And I would urge you to go watch a game if you don't believe me. And they, they wipe out in games. These are men who are at the top of their game and they still crash. They crash into the boards. Sometimes they so-called trip over the blue line, which is like they fall for no reason. They'll get hit by another player who might be bigger or perhaps they're off balance and they go flailing about. These are professional players and they still wipe out. Similarly, I was up at the ski hill last Wednesday, although this actually this time that I fell was a couple weeks ago. I've been skiing for 42 years since I was two years old. I'm an excellent skier. In the last 10 years, I have fallen probably three times, twice when I was pregnant. <laughs> and those three falls, two of them, I just kind of fell over and sort of like hip checked the snow, no big deal. And one of them, my ski hit a rock under the snow and I released out of my binding and I did a little tumble. But then the other day, last week, I was up at the top and there was this gorgeous powder and I had these fresh tracks in the trees and it was glorious. It was, it was a bluebird day. It was freezing cold, but the sky was bright blue and the snow was all untracked and the, the sun was low enough that the snow was sparkling. And I was like, this is awesome. So I'm doing my thing, skiing down in between the trees and all of a sudden, I don't know what happened, but I must have hit a tree well. And a tree well is this thing where snow doesn't accumulate underneath the bases of trees, right? The snow piles up on the branches, and then there's kind of this gap, like a, not a vacuum, but an absence of snow underneath at the, around the base of the tree. So if you sometimes ski too close to a tree, all of a sudden there's no snow under your feet. And they can be dangerous. You can fall into a tree well and you can get tangled up and, um, and snowboarders especially can get really tangled up because they can get upside down and their feet are attached and they can't release and they can get really stuck and it can be dangerous. At any rate, I don't know what happened. I must have hit the edge of a tree well because all of a sudden I kind of hit something firm and one of my bindings released. <laughs> and before I knew it, my head, my face was down in the snow and I was doing a shoulder roll and then my other binding released. And then I did a kind of flip and then I stopped and it was like landing in a pillow. And of course I was giggling because it was really funny and <laughs> it caught me by surprise and I wasn't hurt. So it was no big deal. I'm an excellent skier and still I completely wiped out, right? And I stood up and I was like covered in all this snow everywhere. And it was like in the seam between my goggles and my helmet. And it was up the, the, in between the opening between my mittens and my sleeves. <laughs> it was like down the front of my coat. It was, it was like all in everywhere. It is, snow had managed to make it into every nook and cranny. And I had to like spend a few minutes dusting myself off. Even experts wipe out. It is okay. 
I'll use another, um, I'll highlight another example here because I love Serena Williams. She is just a bad ass. And even Serena Williams, I'm not putting myself on the same level of professional hockey players in Serena Williams. <laughs> but back to Serena Williams, even Serena Williams double faults in a given match 19 times, right? That's missing two serves in a row. She misses 30% of her first serves, 30%, one in three of her first serves she misses and she's the best in the world. So we all wipe out, even experts wipe out, screw up, miss, and they're okay. They keep playing. There's no such thing as perfect. Nobody plays a perfect game. Serena Williams doesn't have a perfect game. She double faults. She misses first serves. Pro hockey players miss shots on net. They shoot wide of the net. They shoot over the net. Sometimes they completely fan. If you watch basketball, what's that called when they completely miss the rim? <laughs> like the ball doesn't even bounce off the rim. It just goes, it just goes completely wide of the rim. Quarterbacks throw passes that get intercepted. Field goal kickers miss the field goal. Baseball pitchers throw strikes and they throw balls. There's no such thing as a perfect game. Although if you, you know, watch baseball and you're a aficionado, then there's such a thing as like a perfect pitched game where they, no players get on base. Okay, fine. <laughs> but he probably, that pitcher probably threw some balls, right? So there's no such thing as a perfect game. Perfect is an illusion. And yet sometimes as business owners, we hold ourselves to the standard of perfection and we don't move because it's not perfect yet. So number five, when you wipe out, get back up and get back in the game. There is no value in sitting there in your own puddle of tears. So I'm going to go back to, I'm going to go back to the NHL because I love hockey for this analogy that if you screw up, maybe you don't make a great pass to your teammate, right? And it lands in their feet. Or maybe your teammate passes you the puck and it's a great pass and you just let it bounce off your stick. Or maybe you take a shot and it completely fires wide of the net. Or maybe your teammate sets you up with this beautiful pass and all you need to do is tap it into a wide open net and you completely fan. If you collapse into your own puddle of tears about how you missed and how you suck and I'm the worst and this is a waste of time and I should just pack it in or who do I even think I am to be doing this? I don't deserve to be here. They're going to find me out. Why am I even on this line with these amazing other players? I'm the one who totally sucks. I'm dragging everybody down. Why did I even think that this was a good idea to begin with? If you hang out in your own puddle of tears, you are now behind the play. You have taken yourself out of the play. And even if you were tripped and you wipe out and your pissed offedness about that is so-called justified, you are still 50 feet now behind the play. The play has moved on without you. And you are now no longer part of creating the game, creating your own game. And you can see this when you watch, you can see this when you watch top level athletes playing their games. You can see it when you watch a hockey game. You can see it when you watch a tennis match. You can see it when you watch hockey. You can see somebody wipe out or screw up or miss and he'll totally go, ugh. And he'll just do like this, I, this sort of, I suck, I should have made that pass kind of face. And he'll take himself out of the play. He's behind. You can see it when you watch pro soccer, right? The men, they flop, <laughs> 
<laughs> they get taken out and then they lie face down and they're like, oh my God, my ankle, oh my knee, ref, he tripped me. You should call him. It's not fair. And meanwhile, the ball is 200 feet down the field. They're not in the play anymore. They've taken themselves out of the play with their own whimpering and whining. So of course we have these moments where we're like, oh my God, I can't believe I fanned on that shot. But the question is, how long do you want to sit in your moment of regret? How long do you want that moment of regret to stretch? Do you want it to be just a moment, a flash, a split second? Do you want it to be minutes? Do you want it to be hours? Do you want it to be whole days, weeks, or months where you take yourself out of your game of your entire life? How long do you want that moment to be? So here's a story from me from yesterday that is not at all sports related. And that is that I've been driving around town, getting to know the landscape of local CPAs because I only know, or, you know, until recently, I only knew a handful of them, like maybe two or three or four. And I was aware that there are probably like at least 30 independent operator CPAs, or at least as they appear on Google maps. So, you know, I was having trouble connecting to them in my usual avenues. And so I decided to just get in my car (laughs) and show up and drop in and just be friendly and say, Hey, here's who I am. Here's what I do. Um, I'm trying to understand the local landscape. If there's any way that I could be helpful, I'm happy to, if there's, you know, if you're interested in hearing about the nature of the work that I do, I'm happy to share that with you or not. I'm not here to sell to you and really just show up being authentic, trying to understand who these folks are and get to know them and slowly create and build relationships. And I also realize that it's like unexpected, awkward, like sometimes I'm sensitive to the fact that I might be catching people off guard. So yesterday (laughs) I'd stopped into, I don't know, four or five places. And so by now I've stopped into a total of probably 15 and every interaction has at least been neutral to friendly to positive right? At the very worst, what happened was they would just take my name and phone number. Maybe I would drop off a card. They'd be friendly and I would go on my merry way. And the best case scenario was I had a few really nice conversations with people that lasted, you know, 45 minutes. And we had a, like a really cool conversation, um, getting to know them, getting to know their business and so on. (laughs) And yesterday after having visited, I forget four or five offices, I, this was the last one on my list. I walk into the office and I greet the woman behind the front desk and I introduce myself and I give her my usual introduction, which is, hi, who I am, what I'm doing. And um, if there's a CPA who has just a few minutes, I would love to hear um, who makes great clients for you and who doesn't make great clients for you. Just because given the nature of what I do, a lot of people ask me and I tend to be a nexus in this certain way. And I'm happy to connect the right clients with the right CPAs. And she is like, we're busy. (laughs) As you can well understand. And I was like, oh, right. Yeah. You know, it is actually January 30th. So I do appreciate that you've got deadlines right in front of you. Totally. I get it. And I say, you know, is there any chance you'd be willing to answer those couple of questions for me really briefly? And she looks at me and she goes, And I thought I was not being imposing. I really genuinely thought I was not being imposing. And, but she looks at me and she goes, I don't have time for this. (laughs) I was like, and my tail immediately tucked in between my legs. And I felt 
so vulnerable and raw. (laughs) And I felt so vulnerable and raw and like a jackass and embarrassed. And I was like, oh my God, did I come across too salesy? Like, did I come across too pushy? Was I misunderstood? What did I say? What, what did I say? How did I come across to elicit that reaction? So I turned, you know, I said, I totally get it. I'm sorry if I, you know, I'm sorry if I wasted your time. And I said something graceful and gracious and found my way to the door. And I walked out to my car and I was still kind of stunned, like, whoa, like this is Montana. People don't talk to each other like that. Um, And a little bit befuddled because I genuinely didn't know what I had said that had set her off in that way. Um, And it also sent me reeling. (laughs) It totally sent me reeling. And it took me the afternoon to kind of settle myself down from this interaction. I was really quite taken aback from it. And... And I'm still not like, it still has a little bit of a hook in me. I'm still not fully clear of it, but I didn't want to deprive you of the delightful story just because I hadn't totally released it. So this is a great example, right? Of how long do I want to stay stuck in this moment of this lady kind of snipped at me and maybe, you know, fully warranted, fully justified or not, who knows, but how long do I want this lady to hang out in my head kind of rent free and interfere with my own clear thinking about moving my business forward? And the answer is great question, Geraldine. I don't know. I'll have to ask myself when I'm done recording, but you get the idea, right? Get back up and get in the game because if you don't, no matter what the justification or what the reason you are behind the play. Okay. So how do these five stories map over to you and your business? So the five stories are steer towards what you fear. You have to commit. You have to trust your edges. You're going to wipe out and get back up and get in the game. So steer towards what you fear. What is the thing that you fear in your business? Is it having sales conversations? Is it doing wish list interviews with top clients? Is it looking at your P&L and evaluating your revenue streams? Probably one of those things in there makes you go, that's not something I like doing, and you avoid doing it. Avoiding doing it puts you in a tailspin. And you don't make forward progress when you avoid it and you steer away from it. So what would it look like for you if you steered toward your fear of having sales conversations, of being more proactive in doing the work that leads to conversations that leads to business? What would it look like if you steered toward doing wish list interviews with your top clients? No doubt the first one that you do feels vulnerable. So does the second one. But after that, they get a lot easier. You get used to the feeling of it and you trust that it works. What would it look like if you pulled out your P&L and maybe your budget from last year and see and looked at, evaluated how you did and started to get familiar with your numbers if you aren't already? Steer toward your fear because you will accelerate your progress in your business. How about committing? So often we make decisions to do things, to try new things in our business, but we don't fully commit to it. So you might say, I'm going to raise my rates, but maybe you raise your rates on a few people, but not across the board. Or maybe it's inconsistent or haphazard or only when you feel the gumption. Maybe you decide to discontinue a certain service or discontinue a certain uh, way of working in your business. But then all of a sudden, the moment you decide to discontinue your service because It doesn't make any sense to you financially or time-wise. A bunch of people start inquiring about it and you open the door back up. 
even though you know that's not the best, most strategic, wisest decision for your business when it comes to time and maybe money. Or maybe you decide to stop saying yes to everything, right? Because you don't want to make people feel bad and you want to be nice and you want to be kind and you want to help people. And I totally get it. But you are, you're also aware, but you're also aware that in saying yes to everything, it's a huge drag on your business. It's like a snowplow truck that has a plow that's like 40 feet wide and captures everything. A snowplow truck is not 40 feet wide. The widest it can be is like 10 feet. That's all the snow that it can push. Otherwise the snow gets too heavy and it can't go down the street. You can't say yes to everything. You cannot do work for everyone. You cannot do all things for all people. You've got to start saying no. So you decide to stop saying yes to everything. But then the moment somebody pushes back or gives you a hard time or is like, come on, pretty, please, pretty, please. Or maybe lays on a little bit of guilt or does a little kind of in the back door, passive aggressive or something like that. You cave. If you want to turn your business, if you want to make a turn at a higher speed, you cannot turn with your shoulders. You have to commit and you've got to lean over. It's going to feel like you're going to fall over. But we come to the next one, trust that your edge is going to hold you. So when you raise your rates and you lose five or 20% of your clients, trust that your edge is going to hold you. It's okay. You will get more clients at your new rates. If you decide to discontinue a service and people are upset about it and they really want it and you're kind of scared and you're like, should I open it back up? Trust that your business is going to keep going and it's going to be solid. Trust that your other revenue streams are going to make up for it. If you've made a decision to stop saying yes to everything and suddenly someone comes and they're, they're pushing on you to try and say yes and you want to say yes, trust that when you deliver an I love you taco, which sounds like I love you, no, I love you. You might know this taco by another name. Trust that the I love you taco is going to free you up. It's going to free you up. It might feel scary at the outset, but trust that it will free you up. Number four, you will wipe out in your business. You are going to send out emails to your subscriber list that are going to have a 2% open rate. It is okay. You might send out an email and get back a super critical response from somebody that's like, this email totally sucks. You're the dumbest person in the world. Why are you even doing this? You shouldn't bother. That's okay. That says more about them than it says about you. But those things feel like wipeouts. You might launch a course and have zero or two signups. That happens when we first launch a course for the first time. Because the process of launching a course tends to be so much more involved than we realize on the face of it. Maybe the messaging was off. Maybe the marketing was off. Maybe the timing was off. Maybe the price was off. Maybe the value of what you offer isn't what people want to buy. You might put a course or a service out there that nobody buys. It feels like a yard sale where you wipe out in the snow and your helmet and your goggles and your mittens and your poles and your skis go flying in every direction. And the skiers uphill of you are gathering all of the items that you have strewn everywhere across the side of the ski hill and they're bringing them down to you <laughs> and handing them to you super kindly. And they're not judging you or maybe they are, but who cares? You will wipe out in this way in your business and it's okay. A woman might say to your face, I don't have time for this. 
and it's okay. You will wipe out in your business. And here's the thing. If you are not wiping out in your business, you are not stretching yourself and you're not improving. If you're not wiping out, you're staying in your comfort zone and you're not stretching your own limits. So check and see when was the last time you totally wiped out in your business. And if it's been a while, it might be time to commit and lean a little more into your business and do some more things that feel scary to you. And when you do wipe out, get back in the game. There's no use hanging out in a puddle of your own tears. If you need to, however, give yourself permission for the length of time that you want to hang out there, be it one minute, five minutes, an hour, or a day, fine, give yourself permission to like soothe your feathers and kind of get your bruised ego back on track, you know, like maybe give your bruised ego a little ice pack, (laughs) maybe, you know, do a little bit of consoling, but make a decision for how long you're going to stay there and practice shortening that amount of time because you're aware that the longer you stay there, the more your ability to play the game and create plays in the game is hindered. All right, listeners, that's what I have for you this week. Number one, steer towards what you fear. Number two, commit. Number three, trust. Number four, wipe out. Number five, get back up and get back in the game. I hope you all have a beautiful week. Take your spatulas out of your oven before you turn it up to 430 for your yam fries. And I will see you next time. Hi again. Would you rather spend your weekends outside playing or at your desk? In Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind, we put an end to overworking while maintaining revenue. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there.